Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my pals, Evan Grant and David Moore. Hello, Evan. How are you? Oh, I am just great, Kevin. How are you? I uh, was a little bit tongue-tied the first time around because I had spent some quality time with the mad dog Chris Russo on the MLB Network this morning. Wow, the mad dog. The mad dog. I always ask him before we go on, Chris, can you please not yell at me? It would, But I, I, I don't think he has the ability to not yell. Um, but I'm going to go celebrate afterwards with some burn-ins and some ribs somewhere. I'm researching which barbecue spot in Kansas City I am hitting today. What is what is the uh, – there's a place we've been to. It's not one of the traditionals that we've eaten barbecue in Kansas City. And it's like something and something, I want to say. That's that, that's a real good clue. Yeah, <laughs> there's a down. <laughs> something well, I mean, and the something. Places I, the places that I like that I've been to are – um, Q39, uh, which has great burn-ins. Um, jo- uh, Joe's Kansas City, which used to be Oklahoma Joe's, is is great for ribs. Uh, I'm debating whether I want to go uh, across the state line and go over to Slaps today for can- for their barbecue. I've never had it. Um, it was Q39 was I don't think that's what I was thinking of, but maybe it was. It was really good though. Q39 oh. is really good. I just can't remember good. where you and I have been together. Maybe. Maybe we were somewhere, Kevin. Yeah, I, I don't. I try not to remember. It's clearly memorable for both of you. Yeah, you don't go to Arthur's though. You don't want to. You don't want to go there. To where? Arthur's. No, Arthur I think Arthur's is overrated at this point. I think there's better. It's just, it. You know, it's Arthur's has almost become like the Dickies of of Kansas City. You know. Oh, let's take that shot at a local okay. legend. Wow. Yeah, there we go. I mean, it's just man. It's, it's just yeah. a chain, and I think there are. I think there's better kind of craft barbecue out there. Did you say craft barbecue? Craft. C R A F. Craft. Oh man, man alive! You're so tough. Why? I guess that that Diggies can't be one of our sponsors anymore. Holy cow! Okay, we'll move on from that. And then David Moore, would you like to disparage any local legends yourself? I like Dickies. Love the fried okra. There you Outstanding. go. Get the turkey, mix in a little their hot, spicy sauce. Good. And, and you know, one of those unfairly, Dickies, unfairly accused of being just yeah. some chain. Unfairly maligned by one a member of this podcast uh, who, who who considers himself a food critic. So that makes it even worse. Uh, so anyway. All right, we got some stuff going on these days. Uh, you know, we we wanted to have Chuck Carlton on and to talk about the stars and the playoffs. Chuck was unfortunately, but the game is still to, going on. I think it is still going on. A double overtime. My gosh. Uh, you know, I got a couple of problems with hockey. One of them uh, is uh, this overtime business. You know, can't they just get these things settled <laughs> in regular time? You know, it's all it's it just it's just a, a, a common occurrence. What about the human drama that doesn't appeal yeah. to you? No, listen, I watched that game last night. And, and the After stars 11 are, o'clock, the human drama is just gone. It you know, fades out. On deadline, it, it fades away on deadline, let me tell you. <laughs> um, all the romance is out. Uh, you know, I, I watched that game last night. You know, the Stars are a very talented team. They're a more talented team than Minnesota is. And I'm not saying Minnesota isn't good. But the Stars just kind of have everything going for them. they got a great penalty kill. They won all the face-off, face-offs last night. You know, Jake Ottinger is a great goalie. Uh, they've got everything you want. The five on five, they're considered the best team in hockey. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that wasn't the case after Joe Pavelski got hurt on a uh, 
on a check by uh, Matt Dumba. And uh, I got to tell you, this is my problem with hockey uh, is that you're allowed to hit a guy who doesn't have the puck. You know, he's delivered the puck. And, and everybody said, you know, when, when they talked about whether this is a cheap shot or not, if it was a five minute uh, uh, major penalty that, well, that Dumba's just finishing his check. That's all he's doing, you know, and, that, and that's what he's supposed to do. And, and good for him. This is playoff hockey. It's like, well, then that's what's the matter with the sport. If, if, if in playoff hockey, it's okay to hit a guy high like that when he doesn't have the puck and he's a star player. And that's one of the things they talked about. He goes, yeah, you, you hunt out the star players and this is what you do. And, and if, if that's the idea, then, then that's what needs to be cleaned up. I've always thought about hockey. What a, it's a, such a beautiful sport. And, and, the, and the ability of these guys to skate, skate backwards, to do the things they do with the puck, it's just phenomenal. But then, and I know this is what everybody who loves hockey loves about it, is, is the physicality of it. And, they love the and, physicality, yeah. And, I, and, I, and that's, it, it, I'm the same way, frankly, about the NFL and football. I don't care about big hits in football. I don't care when a guy gets laid out on the field. All I can think of is how badly hurt is that guy? You know, what, what are the what are the long term ramifications of that? To me, I, I like the passing and catching and the running and, and, you know, all of that. I like all the technique. I like all of it. I don't care about the big hits, the big ooh hits. And in hockey, that's what people love. I, I but, don't look I don't look for the big hits like in football. But I mean, or or in hockey, but they do they do kind of take your breath away when you see them. I mean, because there's a visceral from, reaction every time you see one, right? Sure. Yeah, there there is a visceral reaction. There's no doubt. Yeah, there is. But and I and I get it, and I know that's what what people like about it. But I got to tell you, I just think that that's why I've always felt like four. You know, there were several times like in the game last night where it's four on four hockey because it got a little chippy, as we like to say, uh, and. And I love four on four hockey. One of the things about European hockey is that the is that the the ice is bigger. There's more room behind the the, the goals, and it's just bigger, and so therefore more space, and therefore fewer collisions. And that's why so many of these uh, European players are so technically good is because they're not you know raised to go out there and to be slamming into people all the time. So uh, just that's just my commentary on it because Joe Pavelski was a big loss in that game, and, and that was one of the things. That uh, that happened in the course of that game, of course, is that in the in the first period, you know, the the stars were, were outplayed. Frankly, they they were, you know, Pete DeBoer said that. Well, they, we just seemed like we we're a little, you know, uh, nervous. Maybe got the jitters a little bit. It's like, why do you have the jitters on in a, in a, on home ice in the first game? You know, it's it's the Wild's first game as well. I, I hate that when someone makes gives that description. I mean, it's accurate, but I hate that when it happens. So the start, so the stars are in a very tough spot now. Uh, yeah. They they lost home ice advantage. They may have lost uh, one of their best players. Uh, you know, certainly a front line player uh, for for who knows how long. Uh, he didn't look good going off the ice last night. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, you know, Pavelski is is in, but it's like to me that hit also illustrates how can you how can you. Uh, how can you officiate this sport? Because that to that hit, uh, listening to the reaction nationally and, and and from people who follow hockey all the time, they basically came down on both sides. Some said, "Well, no, that hit is not, uh, you know, that sh- that's beyond the pale. You shouldn't have that." Where others went, "No, that was perfectly acceptable," and it's just so fast and so fierce. I think it's really difficult to legislate. And, and again, last night's an example. I don't know how you can 
change the fabric of the sport when people who are associated with it for most of their lives will disagree on that hit last night, whether it was good or whether it wasn't. But you know, you just can't David, find a consensus. We hear this, David, all the time in football from, you know, the old old football players, right, yeah. about, mm-hmm. oh, how can that be roughing the passer? Or how can that be this? And I've heard it from plenty of old baseball players, especially about the rule changes. I mean, we've heard it about the collision rules, but we've heard it about the rule changes this year. Hello, Jeff Fry. Can you stop bitching about everything? But honestly, I mean, I, I, it's that it, it's that kind of dichotomy that you get into between one generation and another. You do try and legislate it to whatever ability you can. There's not going to be a perfect system. Um, I think you you can you can create some improvements, but it's certainly not going to erase everything. I think for me, the one thing about playoff hockey that usually stands out is and what I do like about playoff hockey is the goaltender play I just think you get amazing goaltender performances and really we've seen it all along right how many times can a great goaltender carry you deep into into the into the postseason um I'm just I I'm kind of surprised that Kevin hasn't brought out our old friend Frank Lux's hockey theory which was why don't they just put a fat guy in goal? <laughs> Sumo wrestler, I believe. Because you, fat you, because guy, you can't use that term, sir. Okay. Uh, man. After, in that regard, it would be an asset, right? And so, uh, what'd you say about his? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, okay. but the thing, the thing that's really, I mean, it, in other sports, by and large, the seeding usually follows form to a fairly high percentage. Hockey, it does not. No. And and last night was an example of that. The, the Stars, you know, you watch it, it's like, well, they're the better team, but all it takes is a quirky bounce off a skate, uh, you know, to, to do that. And and we talk about how mentally tough you have to be to, to know you've been the better team, really kind of controlled the flow as much as you could over the course of the game, and then lost, and you're down 0-1 suddenly. Um, that's, you know, it, but it's not unusual for a number one seed to go out in the NHL or a number two seed, uh, where it's much more unusual to see that in the other sports. You no question about that. Perfectly. I mean, David, you just summed it up perfectly, right? Because we see so many quirky bounces. And I think that's the one thing about hockey, which as Kevin said, can be such a beautiful game that sometimes we just get so many deflections and things like that and goals off the traffic that a if you're watching on tv you didn't even see the action take place it can be it it can sometimes kind of get lost um the beauty of the game and and that's why i think to your point to kevin's point you have more unpredictability in the nhl playoffs well i would say we need to wrap this up and move on but i just want to say a couple things one to david's point uh when we're talking about it's just like when the NFL came up with a rule about a defensive defenseless players, right? Can't yep. hit them. You know that. Mm-hmm. You know sure. Joe Pavelski is a defensive player on that. Mm-hmm. He's delivered the puck. He no longer has it, uh, and yet he can get wiped out. And and so and if, if we're if we're going by the rules, and yeah, okay, that was the rule, and that's the way. Well, the rule's wrong. Uh, in baseball, uh, they made radical changes to the rules this year, and what happened? It's great. Everybody loves it. You know, two o two last night, fellas. Two o two. That's unbelievable. I, you turn these games <laughs> on. You, you know, I, I come in ten minutes late and I missed four innings. You know, I, it's just. Know, it's just we crazy. can talk about that in the Rangers, but I, I, I mean, I think you're right, Kevin. 
you know, you, the whole idea what? of a defenseless player. But the, the, the <laughs> thing for me that always happens in, in playoffs, it's like in the NBA too, when we see it in the NCAA tournament, oh, they're letting them play now. Well, just yeah. just call whatever it is consistently, whatever the rule it's is. It's a foul. Court. It's a foul. Be consistent in that game. Don't yes. let the don't let referees take over the show, but also just kind of be consistent. Well, this is all part of uh, my thinking too about baseball, and we will talk about all this. But I do want to say that. Uh, well, I want to say one last thing about the stars is that Jason Robertson's going to step up. Uh, he 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 turned over a puck that led to a breakaway. Early on, uh, set set a tone. Uh, you know, he did not play well. Yeah, he, he had a goal in the, uh, during the. Uh, you know, a uh, he had a goal. That, I guess the the Stars' first goal uh, during the power play. But he, he's got to step up and play better. They, they took him out of his game, and uh, especially if Pavelski's not going to be there. He needs to play. But I would say I also, still, still believe the Stars are the better team, and it's only oh, one yeah. game into the series. It is only they, one game. They, they can still. Play, play, oh my gosh! Can they win this? Yeah, they can still clearly win this series, uh, but it just puts even more premium on you know getting one here before they go to Minnesota. All right, we're going to talk now about the the Rangers. And before Evan gets to talk about Jacob Degrom, I do leading going backwards from what we were just talking about. Uh, I, I'm planning on going down and doing a little something in uh, Round Rock uh, because they had the the Robo umpiring down there. And at some point, I'm going to do something on that. And I and I had this discussion with someone the other day, uh, uh, and she was saying that, well, "What do you think about these rule changes?" And I said, "I'm all for the rules changes." I said, "I don't I don't care for the big bases, uh, uh, and I, I hate the ghost runner, but everything else I'm all for." And I said, "And I'll, and I'll go you one more. I'll double down here. I, I'm ready for the robot umpire. I'm sick of umpires strike zones. I'm sick of of one night it's it's this." And the next night it's this. And that the not only does the pitcher have to adjust, the hitters have to adjust. I hate that. That shouldn't be part of baseball. That's, you know, to me, and I'm going to offend all my friends who are umpires here, an umpire is no more than a glorified usher. You're just in charge of keeping things from running into chaos here. We are not here to see you perform. We are here to see the athletes perform. And so the whole idea that, oh, no, well, that – Human element of the game is so great. No, it's not. You know, tell uh, Galarraga about that when Jim Joyce uh, took away his perfect game. That that's no one wants to see that. And when we have all the angles that we have now, we have all the camera angles and at all the speeds. And then when you put on top of that all the betting that's going on in sports now, fans are not going to have it. They're not going to say, "Okay, that was okay. That was a mistake. That mistake cost me ten thousand dollars." You know, that's not going to happen in sports. Uh, and they're going to have to get these things right. And the quicker they can get robot umpires up here for baseball, the better. Evan? I, 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 uh, listen, I feel like an umpire's role is game management, not not control of the strike zone. I think the strike zone is defined. I think the best umpires are the best game managers who keep a calm, like you said, keep things calm, almost a glorified usher to make sure that chaos doesn't erupt. I, I you know, I felt like Sunday night, that Rangers-Astros game, Here, here's a scoreless game through the first five innings or whatever, and then all of a sudden it felt like the strike zone changed somewhat. And I, I just don't get that. Um, I, I think there will be some pushback on robot umpires. I think there will be some uh, – there will be lots of people who point out whatever glitch does apparently, you know, show up, and there will be some glitch somewhere that will show up. But – yeah, if you if we've got the technology to allow 
the players and their performances and their abilities to dictate the truest outcome of the game possible, then let's do everything we can to facilitate that. I think that's absolutely right. And I, I just, I don't understand the argument against it. You know, uh, I, I do understand people talking about, you know, preserving things and it's like, but no one t- goes over, over the history of the game and says, man, wasn't he a great umpire? Yeah. Wow. He was my favorite umpire ever. No one says that, you know, no one, you know, we, we talk about screw ups that were made, but, and those were fun. If you didn't have a horse in the game, right. You know, when an umpire makes a mistake, if that was, you know, let's go back to the David. Who, who, who recalls great umpire performances in history, right? No. We recall, we recall things like Eric Gregg's ridiculous strike zone on Levon Hernandez in the playoffs. We were, we recall, um, I can't recall who the umpire was who made the first base call on on uh, in, in, uh, da, uh, Dan Denkiger in the World Series. Yeah, we recall we recall the fact that Joe West liked to take control of games. We don't we we recall that Angel Hernandez is Angel Hernandez because it seems like something weird happens when he's behind the plate. We don't recall and say, "Oh wow, I." I uh, Hunter Wendelstad is umpiring today. I want to go see his strike zone. You know, yeah. so just, yeah, it's all I, stupid to me. I, I got a big problem with all of it. I, I think that I, I love what baseball has done, uh, and that was hard for baseball to do. But uh, and and I think you know we we need certainly need to raise Chris Young. Uh, you know, a toast to him because he was part of setting all that in motion. That was one of the things he did when he worked for MLB was to study these ideas and what we should be doing, and they work fabulously. You know? I go back to the profile I wrote on Chris Young back in 2019 before he joined the Rangers and when he was still at MLB. And this was one of the things that they were wrestling with was we understand we've got a problem and we need to figure out a way to attract more fans and to keep fans at the game interested in what's going on on the field. And I, I think that you know, they have taken steps in the, in that direction. As I've talked with plenty of players in the clubhouse, there are still glitches and there are still things that, that, you know, are beyond their control. But I've had this argument with players. What's the difference if you get a, a ball strike violation or a, a time clock violation versus an umpire making a bad call on you? Umpires have made bad calls all along and you've had to live with it. Ball strike violation or pitch clock violations are going to happen and going to change the, the leverage of an at-bat too, and you're just going to have to live with it. There's not a perfect system, but this is an improvement. And I, I, I do think that we are seeing we're seeing a return to a game that allows players' best athletic abilities to determine the outcome. And that's what we want to go see. Absolutely. Evan, when was the last time you had seen a two-hour game before? Um. Well, I when I went back last night and looked, the last game of the 2007 season was two was 157, which surprised me. But you know, the last game is always, or traditionally, had been where guys just show up and swing at the first pitch. Um, and didn't was, they call that game after six innings because of a lack of interest? No, they did not. <laughs> um, I do remember a game when I first started covering the the, the Marlins back in in the mid 90s a game with Philadelphia that took like an hour and 40 minutes. And it was just ridiculous. It, it felt like there was a fast break going on on the field at all times. <laughs> it was a low scoring game, um, you know, and, and, and guys swung early, put balls in play. 
game moved along, and when somebody made good contact and made a play happen, run scored, and that's just how it was. Yeah. That's just all been good. I've been I've been happy with all of it. All right, let's talk about what we're happy with and what's uh, concerning about the Rangers uh, so far. So Jacob Degrom's just cruising along last night. A no hitter through four innings. How many pitches had he thrown through? Fifty eight. Fifty eight. Yeah. Uh, so fifty eight. So so he he could have at that rate. That's fifteen an inning. Uh, he probably could have gone. Let's see. I'll do some math. It's not my strong point here. Probably two more innings. Maybe three. Well, he, you know, look, he pitched ninety three and ninety eight pitches in his previous two outings. So I, I, uh, I would say that you know pushing up against the cusp of a hundred was certainly was certainly doable last night. It wasn't it wasn't a cold night. It wasn't a hot. It was it was it was fairly pleasant. Um, I, I think that yeah, you could have talked about a guy pit, flirting with a hundred pitches last night. And let me ask you this question. Would if he'd still had the no hitter and uh, and he's got a hundred pitches and he's going into the ninth, he's already got a hundred pitches. Do you think they would have run him out there? Boy, that's a hypothetical. I think they're probably uh, while they don't want to have to deal with the situation they're dealing with now. I think that's a hypothetical. They're glad they don't have to answer. I, I, I it'd be interesting to see where he'd be if he had ninety pitches going to the ninth inning. I think they'd let him go out, but I think you know. Be a quick hook. Yeah. I mean, if, hey. he, if he allowed a base runner. Oh, yeah, for sure. For over. sure. Absolutely. He, and, and what do you know about the situation? Order, 10 to 15 pitches and they'd be, they'd be fine. So, and What do you know about the situation now? Because wrist tightness is such a all-encompassing nebulous description. Do, is there a better idea of what happened, what's going on? No, I mean, he described it kind of like, you know, some some soreness on the outside of his wrist, and he, he felt it first during um, warm-ups. Didn't really think much of it, just kind of thought, you know, it's like, all right, I got to get it loose. Um, and certainly it didn't impact his velocity or his command early on. He, he was he was at 100 miles an hour on a strikeout of Salvador Perez in the fourth inning. Um, but he did walk somebody. He, the, first, the only base runner he allowed, he allowed in that, in that fourth inning. And I think at that point in time, he said that it was starting to get a little bit more sore. And he was concerned. And what, I'm, what I think I'm learning about Jacob deGrom is this is a guy who really knows his mechanics well. Um, and it, it, it shows because he makes pitching look so easy with his mechanics. Um, he was concerned that he was getting to a point where it was enough on his mind that he was going to end up doing something mechanically to compensate for that bit of soreness. And that that's where guys get into serious trouble. So that's why he said something. Um, didn't want to make any adjustments to his delivery that would potentially put him in a more susceptible situation. And he said he thinks that he'll make his next start. I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't know that I'm 75% sure on that. I think in every situation like this, the Rangers are going to act with extreme caution. Um, but he didn't seem didn't seem terribly, terribly concerned, didn't have ice on the wrist. You know, I don't believe he had a – he didn't have any kind of injection or anything last night. I think it's simply a question of let's let's give it a day and see if, it, if maybe there was a little bit of inflammation that just needed to calm down because it was being irritated last night. Was it confined to one spot or was it just – was it just over the – over the wrist area, or, yeah, or was just, it more pinpoint? I asked him where, and he just pointed to the kind of the outside of the wrist and didn't say it was, you know, throbbing or anything. It just felt like a little bit of, of um, 
I, I, you know, kind of, I've, I've had this feeling on occasion, you get kind of in your joints, you know, where you get like a little sticking feeling there. And when you're throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs, I imagine it, it, it's on your mind. So Evan, uh, so we'll see what he does. I think if he misses the start, that's not a big deal, obviously. Uh, what's uh, the update on John Gray? John Gray's fine, man. It's 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 ridiculous because it's amazing. Uh, you know, I, I thought his quote after Saturday night was great because he. I asked him when he kind of dropped the glove to the to the to the field. I was like, "What was going through your mind?" He said, "I thought I broke. I, I thought it was broken because it sounded so bad. It hit there. Um, I was sure that I had broken my arm." And he had a big golf ball size welt that he left the ballpark with on Saturday night but he had a compression sleeve on and treated it. And yesterday he had some electric stem on, but he's, he's played catch the last two days. He's supposed to throw a bullpen today is Tuesday as we're recording this supposed to throw a bullpen today and would pitch on Friday. And he's very excited about being the very first guy to take the mound in the Rangers new city connects, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute, but um, they seem to have dodged a real bullet with, uh, with John Gray there. So I think that the deal with John Gray, too, that what he did, not only did he avoid a serious injury, he got himself a, a Got Milk campaign. Uh, <laughs> I think he, he did, too, right? What he said, hey, I, I think I, I didn't break my arm. I, I drink a lot of milk. You know, and if they're not jumping on that now, if the milk council is not jumping all over that with John Gray, well, then they've, they've missed it. I just think that I think the um, – the American Dairy Council's, uh, you know, the milk mustache uh, campaign. Yeah. I think that's that's gone. Um, I, I don't know if that's coming back, but boy, in the day, that would have been that would have been right up somebody's alley for uh, for a commercial. I don't know, maybe Shep's Dairy or or whatever, whoever's got dairy products in uh, DFW now might uh, might give John a call. You got to jump all over that, man. Oh, you can't let that go. All right, let, let's uh, let's uh, before we talk any more about the mechanics of the game, let's talk about the stuff that doesn't matter uh, in baseball, and that's the uniforms. Uh, the, we, the City Connect uniforms were unveiled, and man alive, it was not anything like I thought it was going to be. Uh, I thought they had you know a, a picture of uh, the Titan uh, from Six Flags or something like that on there. Uh, that wasn't it at all, man. They. They got a really convoluted process here of which they incorporated a, a century's worth of baseball in the Metroplex into these uniforms. And I just want to say one thing, Evan. Uh, I, I appreciate a lot about these uniforms. Don't like the dark pants and, and, the, and the light tops. It looks like they're selling Bibles out there. That's all I'm going to say. I, I, don't, I don't go for that look. I, I don't think you're alone, Kevin. And as I've said to a number of players over the last 24 hours, I think when it's all said and done um, next year in year two of these City Connects, it would not surprise me at all if Nike ships them a pair of cream-colored pants that have blue piping and then that cool braiding inside the blue piping. I think that would be kind of a timeless look. Um as I wrote this morning, you know, the, the, the reaction from players was, yeah, we really love the jersey. Yeah, but how about the pants? <laughs> we really love the jersey. So, um, I don't know. I'm curious what you guys think. Let's forget about the pants for a while because I, I, I think that the general consensus is the pants are a bold attempt. And other teams have gone with colored pants. And after a year, they've discarded them, Colorado and the Dodgers being among them. 
Um, but I'm curious what you guys thought of the jersey because you're more of a – you guys are more of, of look, what it looks like on, on first look before you get into the story. What do you think about the, the uniform tops in general? I'll let David go first. David, you got an opinion? I, I liked them, but but I'm not I'm not as wedded to the way things should look. I mean, I, I'm receptive to change and things being different, and uh, I think that's some of it. Where I, everyone's initial reaction, a lot of it is just like, "Oh, how can you, how can you touch this? This is this is the classic look. This is what always been done." Um, you know, sometimes you don't the best ideas or the best fashions you don't act, you know, you don't necessarily gravitate to initially, but once you see it a little bit, you go, you know what? I really do kind of like that. So, uh, I, I was intrigued by them. I liked it. Uh, you know, here's my issue with uniforms and, and what baseball to me always messes this up. And I, and I know that, uh, you know, when, when I, I wrote a column earlier this year talking about the uniforms, and of course I went to the source of that, uh, the expert for it out on the ticket from the Musers, um, Junior Miller, to talk about uh, that. And he's he, his attitude is the same as mine. I don't like it when it looks like someone's got on pants and a shirt. You know, it's a uniform. Uniform means uniform. It's all the way up from the top to the bottom. That's what uniform means. When we talk about a uniform response to something, it means everyone's in concert here. That is not uniform when the pants and the top are two completely different colors. Uh, and so so I don't like that. I will say, and I loved Evan what you tweeted about uh, what the this this whatever this weird looking uh, character that they came up with in which they combined the Panthers, which is what the Fort Worth teams were called back in the old days. Uh, and, and of course the, the Eagles, uh, it's a Peagle, Kevin, it's a Peagle. Okay? It's a Peagle. Yes. I realize that, uh, Jeez. but, but as Evan pointed out, it looks more like a, a Griffin. And then he thought you, they missed an opportunity here to call it a Vander Griffin because of course, of, of, <laughs> of Mr. Vandergriff who brought the Rangers, uh, from, uh, Washington, the Washington senators to I mean, brought the DFW Spurs to, and got Turnpike stadium built. Right. And so what, yeah was key to this whole story because the, the Rangers the Rangers had a particular challenge in this, right? The, the challenge is they don't play in Dallas. They don't play in Fort Worth. They don't wear a, a city's name on their uniform. So how do you connect to a city? And they, they took a literal approach that Arlington connected these two cities. Um, and, and so that's where that's, that's a big part of why Tom Vandergriff plays a big part of this. Kevin, my concern here is this. You know, you don't like colored tops. I'm not that big on colored tops with white pants or gray pants. Same thing with colored pants and, 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 and a white top. But a younger generation is, right? And yeah. they like that. And so your aim with these City Connects is to reach a younger generation. And here's the thing for me that I think the Rangers run into. I like this jersey top. I think it looks timeless. I think it looks classic. But I think the thing that, that, that they may run into with younger people is they don't want they're not going to take time to listen to the story. They, they're just right. wanting to look at the fashion. And the second part of it is they just don't I, I don't know that old English like the White Sox have kind of a graphic logo on their front, the South Side logo that, that is a spin on their old English numbers. But it's almost like a combination between 
an old English or a Gothic lettering and, and a graffiti painting. This is just plain old English. And I don't know if kids or of the 18 to 25 demographic is going to glom onto this. What I will say is I, when I ran this by my fashion consultant, Natalie, last night, and I will get her review and, and add it to our City Connect rankings, one thing she did say is she looked at the graphic and she, she looked at all the details that are on the uniform and all the details really did grow on her. And so, you know, I think as people start to notice some of those details, the uniforms will, will grow on them. I mean, even on the colored plants, I really like the, the little outline of the state of Texas that's going to be on the right hip that's got the spur logo on there. I think that's a cool detail. I don't know how visual it's going to be to people. Well, I think you know we'll see what uh, the response is from young people. We'll see how they what they if they buy this stuff. We know that when they came back with the powder blues, everybody liked that, or most people did. I liked them. Uh, it'll be interesting. You know, you brought up the socks. The, the, the thing for me is that in the old socks logo, the one from the twenties, it has that big S and it has the O inside the top of the S and the O in, and the X inside the bottom. That's a really cool logo. And so you can bring something like that back. In Houston, when the Astros, you could bring back the Colt 45 logo with the C, you know, coming out of the out of the revolver and, and it forms the, the smoke, it forms the C. That's really cool. The Rangers don't have anything like that in their history. But to they, pull don't, on. they don't have a past really to, to glom onto and they don't have a cultural aspect in Arlington to really glom onto. Again, and, unless we take that joke and, you know, they use a roller coaster and clearly that's not what they're going to do. So no. um, it, I think they had a lot of challenges ahead of them. I think they did. They did the best job that they possibly could. I think when these come around again in three years, it's going to be interesting to see if at some point in time they say, you know what, we're not going to be afraid to offend a population and go with, one or the other, Dallas or Fort Worth. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think the, the bottom line was I, I was okay with it. And I did like the, I liked the logo on the hats, uh, on the caps. Uh, and I, and I, and I'd like that weird Peagle, although I want to call it a Vander Griffin. Why in the world wouldn't we call it a Vander Griffin? I yeah. Think, you know, I, and I read on. that by John Blake last night and he, he did like the Vander Griffin too. And I forgot who tweeted it at me. And I thought it was, it was, it was, uh, it was genius. Um, because a Peagle sounds like, some kind of poodle beagle hybrid that you just got from a breeder. And, uh, but everybody likes the logo and they love the hoodies that are the Peagle just outlined on a, on a kind of a dry fit hoodie. So I think yeah. they did a really good and creative job with that. And I think, you know, when you also add in the element of the Pegasus being Dallas's kind of city emblem, you know, you get that winged creature. I think that works well. I think there's a lot of little, different layers that work well here. But again, it still comes down to, are people going to look at them and say, hey, that's a badass uniform or not? I did think Marcus Semyon had the best review possible. And that's, if we play well in them and we win on them on Friday nights, everybody's going to love them. And that's yeah. going to matter. Sure. All right, before we get out of the Rangers, I do want to uh, uh, kind of just touch on a little something here. And this is we've talked about before. But Evan, you know, they, they, they so they win the series against the Astros and really just kind of won it going away, uh, kind of dominated the Astros except for that game in the middle. Um, so I, I, it's early. Obviously, Jose Altuve is out. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a much different team, obviously, when he's in there. Uh, but if this Rangers team maintains the way it's playing now and the, and the, the rest of the West – 
keeps playing pretty much like it is now or just improves a little bit. Uh, I, the Rangers, it's going to be really incumbent upon Chris Young to do something with that bullpen. I think the bullpen has played very well. And certainly, especially Dane Dunning and Cole Reagans, those guys have been tremendous uh, in, the, in the roles that they played and kind of the, the long guys uh, in the bullpen the first out. Uh, but to me, this team is just crying out for a closer. Uh, and and when you, you can back up Jose LeClerc and Jonathan Hernandez into the seventh and eighth and then have that closer ready for the ninth. Uh, I, I know that, you know, the Bruce Bochy is, you know, the, the bullpen whisperer. He's, he's tremendous. I uh, manipulates that thing. It's been fun to watch how he does that night after night, but you've got to have a lockdown closer. Yeah, but I I think that's more of a July issue. I think right now. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm right now, the, the question is, are you okay? Do you need to go and add a bat because you've got issues in the outfield, right? The left field situation is still what the left field situation is, and you're going to yeah. be without Corey Seager for at least a month. Do you need to go revisit that conversation that you had over the winter about? Should we go out and add an outfield bat? And if you do, you pick up the the offense you lose with Seager, and maybe you solve the the outfield from being a, a revolving door out there. Um, but if you try and do that now, and the guy obviously that would be the number one the number one guy out there would be Brian Reynolds in Pittsburgh, it's going to be a massive overpay. And I, I it would it would look like a panic move, but the other part of my brain keeps saying. If you don't panic when you lose Corey Seager, maybe there's something wrong with you. You know, I mean, that, <laughs> um, he's 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 your franchise player. Uh, but I, I will just say this: they've they've withstood the injury for the for the first week. They've they're they've got more that they're going to have to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you're if we're talking about this team as a contender to go deep into the playoffs, those are two areas they're going to have to revisit and and discuss more the bullpen, the back end of the bullpen, and potentially adding an outfielder. All right, so are we ready to give up on Robbie Grossman? I'm not ready to give up on Robbie Grossman. I mean, I I, I think he's, again, a fine bench bat and fourth outfielder, but I also am really concerned about whether or not Bubba Thompson and Ezekiel Duran will be able to help you playing once a week. Um I'm not that concerned about their their development because I think right now the most important thing is helping this team win at the big league level, but I'm not sure they're going to be able to help this team win at the big league level, and you may need an everyday left fielder. Well, let's look at this right now. Right now, at this moment, Brian Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds' uh, slash line is 324, 329, 603, 932. Yeah. That would play pretty well on that field. Yeah, it would. I mean, he's not taking walks, but he's hitting everything. So, um, but I, I, I think you know, and I've, I've kind of played around with maybe writing this, and I may write this before the end of this series. But it's, it, it would, it would take a real significant payment, and the Pirates would be saying, "You want Brian Reynolds? How about giving us the guy that just hit five hundred for the week in Frisco and Evan Carter?" and Look, I think Evan Carter may be on the cusp of becoming a top ten prospect in all of baseball. So, um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't want to make that deal, but if you want to include Justin Foscue and, and Ezekiel Duran and a pitcher, and uh, I'm all for that. Yeah, I, 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 don't know, that. I don't know that the Pirates are right now would, would take just quantity. I think they'd want one of your very, very best prospects. Well, I think those guys are. I, I, I would say, yeah, I, I don't think Evan Carter wouldn't be on the table for me because that's just, you're, you're trading the same thing, right? You don't you don't know that he's going to become Brian. Right? Well, look, Evan Carter turns 21 at the end of August. I think he's going to be in the big leagues by his 21st birthday. To be perfectly honest, yeah, I, I don't I don't want to do that deal. Okay, all right, that's going to do it for the Rangers part of our uh, podcast this week. Uh, let's move over now. We got David. We've got two podcasts left. This one and next week. Before the draft, uh, it's the best time of year for football. Forget the fall. We don't care about fall and the football, the actual games themselves. We care about the draft. We don't. And building. You know, no, we don't care. We do. Well, why? listen, you put all your apples into that basket, and then the, the Cowboys do what they do, right? And they're out after the first round. Who wants to set yourself up for that? They're much more successful at drafting than they are at actually playing these games. Hope, hope is higher now than it will be once the once the postseason yes. is here. Is that your exactly. Hope will be over after next weekend. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so David, uh, we, we've talked about this a little bit before. Next week, we're going to have our own draft. Uh, we're we're going to, the three of us are going to sit down and we're going to draft. And uh, I, I haven't, I haven't decided yet what would be the best set of parameters for us, whether we are, we're going to do what uh, ESPN does with Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, where they alternate or whatever, you know, maybe we'll do that. I don't know. We're, we're you know, it's going to be really hard. You guys are going to have to do a lot of homework. So Evan, Evan already has his put together. Does he? I, okay. I can tell by his face. His mock draft. He's going to, he's going to refine it. Oh, with my, uh, my, some burnt ends today. You know, but my, he will. you know my approach to the Cowboys mock draft is I'm just going to take whatever Georgia player is available at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not taking Georgia player in the first round. Yeah, Which Darnell wouldn't Washington. be a bad idea, right? I mean, Jalen yeah. Carter, Darnell Washington, yeah. uh, Keely Ringo. Oh, yeah. That's what we need is Jalen Carter to come here and start getting in races with people. That'd be great. Let's yeah, the Jalen Carter, that, that, that was a really disturbing element. Um Ugh. Of the whole the Cowboys thing. have a the Cowboys have a history of that sort of thing, and and we don't we don't need. That. I I listen. I don't know what kind of guy Jalen Carter is. Everybody says he's a great guy. He he didn't help himself any after he uh went at, at the pro day where he was out of shape, couldn't finish it. My gosh, I I, I do think that stuff's all overrated. You know, we, we've got tape on people, right? Let's go by the tape, uh, and, and that's exactly right. But you'd like to think that a guy well, when you show up for a job interview that way, that leads yeah. you to question their commitment, right? Hey, how and, serious uh, they are about my feeling job. in general is that there's there's too much analysis of drafts uh, as a whole, Kevin. And and you and I, we went and saw Jordan Lawler play at <laughs> yeah, Dallas, we Dallas did. right? And we, <laughs> we looked did. at that game, and he was playing against this is the, the, the top shortstop prospect in baseball, probably at this point in time. But we watched him that day, and we didn't see competition on the other side of the field. It was a miserable day. Jordan didn't have a great day at the plate. And here he is. He's he had a great I, day in the field either. He, he, he let a ball go under his glove. It's just an easy ground ball. He just looked like the most pedestrian shortstop you ever saw in your life. And he's absolutely tearing it up in double A. I think teams often overanalyze themselves into mistakes. You know, great talent wins that's what that's what wins and i i 
I don't know if it if, if it applies in the NFL. I think it's going to apply more and more to baseball because of the the rule changes. I think that the talent is going to play. That's what's going to play. Sure. So so David, let's look at this from the standpoint of uh, this week uh, that the Cowboys did a really good job, and you know that's hard for me to say. The Cowboys did a really good job uh, of answering. Uh, some of the questions they had at positions, you know, they went out and made a trade to get a, uh, a, a, a good wide receiver in Brandon Cooks. They went out and, and acquired Stephen Gilmore. So a, a good cornerback. So those were two real issues and they filled them with two accomplished players who are still, uh, Gilmore is probably pushing the outer boundaries here, but he's still, he was a very good player last yeah, year. But based on his performance, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely. still upgraded the position, no question. No, qu- no question. So we, we, we've done those kind of things. So so I'm going to say this, David. Let's say, and I think you agree with him because we talked about the B. John Robinson thing last week. If B. John Robinson is still there at 26, which I just don't think he will. I can't imagine. I, I don't see it. I can't he's too imagine. good of a player. He's too good of a playmaker to get down to number 26 in my mind. Because here's how Howie Roseman is thinking. He's got, like, what, 16 picks in the first round? Uh, so when you've got the number of picks that he has in the first round, that allows you to do things that you don't normally would want to do, right? If you had one, if you got one pick in the first round, you got one attitude. If you've got multiple picks in the first round, well, then I can take a little chance here because I've already you got this. Love anything as much as you love Howie Rosen? Roseman. Not high Rosen. I'm sorry. I was thinking of the Mets broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I do love Howie Rosen. I've always loved him. I, I, you know what I love about him is that he's 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 a gambler. He's willing. To, he's first of all, he's really smart, and he's a gambler. He's willing to, to try things and do things. You know, I, I like that kind of mindset. You know, he's uh, he, he's and Jerry Jones does it because you don't trust his judgment. I don't trust in judgment. Exactly. That's what it comes down to. It doesn't matter if they're a gambler. It matters how much the judgment you take. Well, listen, Howie's Howie's been to the Super Bowl three times this century. How many times has Jerry been to the Super Bowl this century? I'm making the international sign for zero here. Zero. So uh, my point is, is that Howie's got to pick at 20. He's going to, I think his first pick is like 10 or somewhere in there. And then he's got to pick at 20. If, if B. John Robinson is there at 20, you bet he's taking him. Because one thing, he just lost his top running back, and the guy he signed to replace him is no big deal. And so, uh, and, and he, he knows that Jerry wants him. And so he's going to take. Would you really want to watch uh, Bijan Robinson running against your defense? No, uh, he, he'll. I, I'm, I guarantee that if uh, if if Bijan is still there at twenty, the Eagles will take him. So anyway, let's say that he's out of the equation. If when it comes to twenty six. Do you think and, and the players are be let's say the, the talent level is equal there. You don't have one guy who's way above everybody else that you have on your board at that point. And it's just a position. It, it comes down to more of, well, which position do we like better? Which one do we think we're addressing better? What do you think they might do? Well, I think the other part of that argument is, and again, like I, I think we talked about this last week, it's not. I don't know that this team has any positional needs at the moment. I think there are some preferences, but like all preferences, you can argue, well, that's your preference. My preference is this. And you're going to have those same discussions internally, but there are no needs. So that can, sometimes that can lead to a clear decision and sometimes it can muddy it, right? Uh, If, if you have 
two to three players at different positions all on the same plateau when you're picking. Um, but I think it also comes down to what does the board look like? And if you go with one of these positions, if you, if you adopt the premise that there is no need and you can just take whoever you want, regardless of position in the first round, well, that doesn't end the discussion because then it's like, okay, so we're not going to take these other two positions where we'll get a quality player. Can we get those in the second round, in the fourth round? Where Where is that next talent plateau where we're going to be able to take a player? And how big is the difference, say, between that talent plateau at running back versus edge rusher versus corner? So you also have that element. So all of that thrown in together, my belief is that the most talented position, probably the time the Cowboys are on the clock, is going to be tight end. And I think you can make a very strong argument for them taking a tight end in the first round. Even if the top tight end is gone, um, I, I just think that that position is so deep at the top. And you can say, look, here's the other thing. And this this speaks to it perfectly. They could go through this draft and not take a tight end, and you still feel pretty good about that position going into next year, right? But but I would argue that unless you have uh, unless you have a Bijan Robinson drop or a or a Darnell Wright who's a tackle slash guard offensive lineman from Tennessee that would make some sense, you know, unless you have one of those guys that you clearly delineate as kind of the last on a plateau fall to you. Then you look at tight end and you say, well, um, what, it, what have they stated they want to do this offseason? Better protect Dak Prescott and do a more, be a more efficient in running the ball. A quality tight end is going to help you achieve both of those goals in a way other positions would not. And, uh, um, you know, a good blocking tight end like Mayer is from Notre Dame, um, or, or Darnell, uh, I mean, Washington is, excuse me, from uh, Georgia. Um, yeah, that makes a, you know, that makes a big difference in the run game. But they're also giving you something in the past game to replace what you lost with Dalton Schultz and just the normal progression of Jay Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot's your more stretch-the-field sort of tight end. So, so I think for really disguising what they want to do offensively, and being able to run or pass out of the same set, I, I think you can make a very strong argument that tight end is the way to go at 26. So you make a great point about the, the what comes later in the draft. So because you can also you get a good tight end in the second or third round. So that well, is, that's, what I, that's what I was going to you know, ask you. So so we're this draft is deep in tight ends. It is uh, it is not deep in wide receivers. Is that isn't that correct? Well, that's going to be interesting. It's not. It's not as strong at the top as past years at, at wide receiver. And, you know, now I, we've become accustomed to anywhere from five to seven receivers going in the first round in recent years. There may only be one go in the first round this year. Now, uh, one or two more may slip in there. Um, but, you know, I, I would argue with where the Cowboys are at receiver, not taking one in the first round makes the most sense for them. 
and come back in the in the second or third round if that's what you want to do because it you know the second round you're going to see like a guy like Josh Downs of of, uh, of North Carolina uh, you know falls in there third round you have like a Rasheed Rice from SMU uh, Mingo from Ole Miss there are um, I just think the 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 quality is pretty good on those levels in the later round versus uh, at the top. That being said, the Cowboys did have uh, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee in for a visit, uh, Zay Flowers from Boston College in for a visit, and uh, TCU's Quentin Johnson uh, also were, were three receivers that could potentially be there when Dallas is on the clock, and, and you at least have to have a discussion about yeah, that's that's the interesting thing to me about this. I, I have a hard time uh, at twenty six taking a wide receiver unless you know the kid from Ohio State's available. Obviously, and he's not going to be. Uh, well, he's regarded as the best, but you know now you see he's the guy that's kind of sliding. And who envisioned C D Lamb sliding to them two you know a couple of years ago? So see, that's that's my issue with that though, David. Is that all right? You you you're already going to have a huge financial commitment to CD yes. Lamb here very shortly, right after this year, right? Yes. And so uh, to me, I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to be paying these young guys this much money. Uh, I, I would like to spread that around a little bit. You know, that's you already of, gave Gallup a second contract. That's pretty sturdy. Yeah, and so that's a, a lot of money committed. That I realize that more and more money is going to that position all the time. Uh, but I just I, I don't want to do that. You know, I uh, they they once did that with their offensive line and it worked out pretty well for, them, you know, uh, all things considered, you know, except for Travis Frederick career ending prematurely. Uh, it, you know, if he'd still be playing, obviously, if he hadn't had his issues. And so that that may that really kind of threw a monkey wrench at thing. So that's I, I am thinking, you know. That the name Osiris Torrance has come up many times as a guy who could be plugged right in at, at guard, and now you're seeing that people are saying, "Well, he may slide into the second round." Um, I wonder if when we talk about Jerry Gamblin, could you see him? Let's say they make whatever pick they make. Let's say they take a tight end in the first round. Could you see them if they like Torrance that much and they felt like he was a walk-in starter that they might trade up in the second at the at a shot at getting a player like that? You know, the second round is where they traditionally gamble. Um, but usually it's staying in place to gamble and taking guys with a risk-reward ratio, which leans toward the risk, a uh, little higher risk. Uh, you know, I went back and looked at it. If you just go back over like the last 12 players taken at that position, you could qualify eight of the 12 as a risky pick, either from um, – questions about their behavior off the field to injury issues that plagued their career and left them available in the second round where talent would indicate they should not be. Uh, so that is the round where, where Dallas usually takes a chance. But but I get the sense that they feel the board is deep enough in, in the second round um, that they would just sit and, and let whoever is there. You know, uh, Steve Avia from TCU, I, I think, is another guy if you want to put in that conversation uh, with who you just mentioned at guard and Torrance. 
Um, that's another guy who's probably going to go right in that range and they're comparable sort of players. Um, you know, I, I think that's in the, in the conversation as well, but, but, but say they decide to go offensive line, like you say, with the, with the Torrance up there, or, or I, I think if he's there, I think, a, a, a Darnell Wright from uh, Tennessee is a little more likely just he's a tackle, but also projected to play guard. You know, he can play guard. A lot of teams see him as a guard, but he gives you that position flex they talk about all the time. Uh, if you went offensive line in the first round, now I think suddenly you look and you go, okay, well, what tight ends could be there in the second round? And somebody like Tucker Craft from South Dakota, uh, who they like, is there. So um, I think, you know, whatever pick they make on Thursday night next week is not just dependent on who is there. It's also kind of how it fits in with the rest of their board and and how much and, – but it's always a qualitative question, right? It's how much is the separation. Um, you know, you look at, well, no, this is clearly the best guy. Uh, we're not that sold on who we could get at tight end or guard in the second round, so let's go ahead and do it here. That, that also factors into the conversation as well. If you have several players on that graded roughly in, in, the, same, in the same spot. Yeah, my, my feeling about that on the gambling part of that is that if you think you're trading up in the second round to get a guy who's going to be a walk-in starter, well, then fine. Unless, yeah. unless you think you could get that walk-in starter. Like with Demarcus Lawrence, the year they I, traded a third-round pitch to go up and get Demarcus Lawrence, who they were convinced was the last pure edge pass rusher on the board, and they moved up and, and, and got a move for him. But what happened several years ago, the same draft that they didn't anticipate C.D. Lamb, Trayvon Diggs a corner who was actually under discussion in the first round, you know, drifted to them all the way in the second round. And, yeah. and, and that was a very solid pick and a great value pick and one they didn't anticipate. So, um, yeah, you, you, you have those guys. But, again, you know, Sam Williams last year, the, def, the their pass rusher, um, they liked him, most projected him in the third round. But what happened? You're drafting late in the second. You know there's no way he gets to you in the third. So if you really like him and no one else on the board between there turns your head, okay, you're willing to reach a half around higher than maybe a Sam Williams should go just to make sure you get him. And and when you're at the end of a round, especially the second round, that is what Dallas has done traditionally at the end of the second round. They, they've been willing to reach for a guy who some project in the third, but they know, well, there's no way he'll be there in the third. The most dramatic example is probably Jalen Smith. Yeah, yeah, no question on that. And should have left that one, frankly. Uh, all right, I want to switch over here to quarterback. Do you, first of all, do you think they'll take a quarterback in this draft? Yes, but I don't think it'll happen until day three. Yeah, it'll be late. So, will his name be Stetson Bennett the fourth? Oh my gosh, <laughs> let's hope not. <laughs> the last time he was here, he had a little rough. You had the national championship game. He had a little rough time. That's uh, not true. That's not true. I have it on good sources that he's been working out at Bobby Stroop's place in Fort Worth with uh, Trey Lance and also, you know, who who works out there. Who's Patrick that? Mahomes, you. your favorite. Oh. So you're saying that with that because he works out with Patrick Mahomes, he's going to be an NFL star? I didn't say he was working out with Patrick Mahomes. I said he's working out with the same guy that uh, Patrick Mahomes worked out with. <laughs> Stetson Bennett. He's like 5'9". Let me tell you something. I'm not taking Stetson Bennett. I can tell you this. He's taller than me. 
You know how I know this? Yeah, so is your wife. You know how I know this? <laughs> How's that? He was at the ballpark the other day. Wow. Did he you do it back to back? I, I did stand next to him. Um, did you just Holland, on your lap? I don't know how this happens, but Derek Holland, who also, Bobby Stroop is kind of a Tom House disciple, brought him and Trey Lance out there uh, to the ballpark. So, yeah. Well, that must have been fun. He's been out here. He's he's been here working with uh, with Bobby and that group and and getting ready for the draft. I, I I look. I mean, I think the guy's too small to be an NFL quarterback, but he was too small to be a college quarterback and won two national championships. So I don't know what to make out of that. I'd like to see what he could do with a bad team. Uh, that would that would be my answer to that question. Uh, he look. He was unbelievably great in the national championship game. And he yeah yes he did have games where he just played great. Uh, I, he looks like a, a baller to me, uh, but a, a classic college quarterback. I think that's a you know that's the issue he's going to run into. Yeah. I, I, well, let me ask about the other quarterback who played in that game. You know, TCU played in that game. They don't like to admit that anymore that they actually <laughs> played in the national championship game because they didn't really. They didn't really play. They just showed up. Kind of showed up. Max has uh, been out to the ballpark this year too. Your yeah, Max has been out there. So. You, David, I, I got to say this. Max is certainly a lot better pro prospect than Stetson Bennett is just because he's a lot bigger. He's a lot faster. He's got a really good arm. Uh, the thing that always bothered me about Max, and, he, and he, he's a real gamer. I mean, the kid's just all in, you know, maybe a little too much at times. Uh, he, he's not real accurate on the intermediate stuff. And, and, you know, that's always an issue for me with quarterbacks, you know, you can you can teach them a lot of things, but teaching accuracy is is just really hard. You know, either you are or you aren't. We can work on your mechanics and all of that, but I just think it makes it really difficult. Do do you think the Cowboys would be interested in him if he made it to day three? Yeah, well, one, I think he will make it to day three. Um, I think he's a quarterback. I, I think there are a cluster of quarterbacks who are going to go in that fourth, fifth round. Um, I I think he's one of them. I, you know, I, I think he's in the mix there. They've They've worked him out. Um, they like him. Um, to, to what level do you like him? Again, no one's going to give you the, the full thing, you know, right now. But, you know, I would say uh, he's he's a name to keep in mind. Clayton Toon from Houston is another. Yeah, right. And uh, Aiden O'Connell, who I believe is uh, Purdue, who's also goes in that fourth, fifth round range, I think is another guy. All right, Clayton Toon, a local guy, too. All right, uh, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate you taking the time. Come back next week, and you're going to hear who we're taking for the Cowboys in the draft. It's going to be big. We know Jerry Jones is going to be listening to that. Uh, He loves to know what we think about what the Cowboys should do. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.